So my theme for this evening is uh, democracy and democracy crisis and how to give people again some hope uh, in uh, the future of democracy. Democracy is an idea, but it is also an ideal. And it reminds me of the words of Pericles in his famous funeral oration, now almost 2,500 years ago, quoted by Thucydides. I happen to know it by heart, of course, in Dutch. <laughs> and I'm quoting uh, Pericles. He said, our constitution does not copy the laws of neighboring states. We are rather a pattern to others than imitators ourselves. Its administration favors the many instead of the few. This is why it is called democracy, because it favors the many instead of the few. If we look to the laws, they afford equal justice to all. Class considerations not being allowed to interfere with merit. Nor again does poverty bar the way. If a man is able to serve the state, he is not hindered by the obscurity of his condition. Those words are 2,500 years old. And as I said in the beginning, democracy is an idea and now you also feel that it is an ideal. We know that public life is often a balance or an imbalance between ethical realism, ethical idealism, and political realism. Or as Max Weber put it, a compromise between the ethics of conviction and the ethics of responsibility. In the cynical times in which we often live, in this balance between ethical idealism and political realism, often realism prevails. What is the state of political democracies all over the world? On the one hand, the number of real democracies was never as high as it is at this moment in time. On the American continent, only two countries suffer from authoritarianism. In Africa, situation improved dramatically compared to 20 years ago, although it has been deteriorating again in the past few years. In Asia, Indonesia, with its 250 million inhabitants, Indonesia joined the Club of Democratic Nations, together with India and Japan. Japan. In total, almost 1.5 billion people live in a democracy in Asia, more than the Chinese population. We tend to forget this. The fall of communism in Europe gave birth to many new democracies. On the other hand, 
two important permanent members of the UN Security Council remain non-democratic states. It's a real paradox that the rise of democracies worldwide did not make this political system more popular in the Western world. Demos in Greek means people. And the Latin word for people is populus. But the populists we know today are not democratic. Although they are a minority, they pretend to speak on behalf of the people. Wir sind das Volk. We are the people. Was true before the fall of the Berlin Wall. But this expression is now used by extremists and populists. For them, democracy is a way to get power. And once in power, they will impose the will of their people, not of the people. Populists lost some battles in Western Europe, but they did not lose the war yet. We have to better protect our people, our people, against real or perceived threats, high unemployment, insecure jobs, mass illegal migration, climate change, terrorism, all kinds of dumping, huge inequalities, and threats of war on our eastern and southern borders. If we cannot protect people, they will choose protectionism. If we fail, tribalism and nationalism will be further strengthened. If we fail, large parts of our population will turn away from our open societies, our open economies and our open democracies. It is not only the idea of the European Union that is in danger, the liberal worldview, which values democracy and freedom, is under siege also in Europe. Even though we already obtained results on all those domains that citizens see as threatening, it's not enough. And that's why openness is under pressure in parts of our union. Protection and openness are key words for our political and social models. Une Europe qui protège, a Europe that protects, protects as President Mitterrand once said. But in the meantime, we have to defend our core public values. The Union and its institutions are doing so. How can we ask migrants to agree to our values while some of us do not respect them ourselves? For many people, democracy is not a value a la Pericles but an added value, its opposite. Democracy is judged on its results in the fields of prosperity, security and fairness. If national and European democratic leaders cannot deliver, then democracy itself is put into question. The US and Italy are ruled by populists. Many millennials do think there are viable alternatives including military government. One in six people of all ages in America and Europe now believe it would be a good thing for the army to rule. 
that has risen from one in 16 in the mid-90s, a near trebling. The poor are now democracy's strongest fans, the rich its biggest skeptics. When inequality is high, the rich fear the mob. So values and interests are then interlinked. And inequality is very high in the United States and to a lesser extent in the UK. I give you two figures. Wages have been stagnating for 40 years in the US. Adjusted for inflation, the median male worker earns less now than he did in 1979. The CEOs at the largest companies now make 270 times as much as the average worker up from 27 times as much in 1980. History teaches us to be cautious. History has to remain the teacher of life. Historia magistra vitae. We have to tackle the root causes of the frustration, the anger and despair of large groups of our citizens in the upcoming years. Some are even looking at authoritarianism with some kind of admiration. The impression was even created that democracy can no longer deliver prosperity and security. They tend to forget the success stories of the European Union, of Japan, the strong economic performances of the Indian and Indonesian economies, and look at the poor state of the Russian and the Turkish economies and the famine and exodus in Venezuela. You do not have to give up your freedom in exchange for more prosperity for all. History is our evidence. In my view, in a long-term perspective, democracy is a logical consequence of economies and societies with high levels of education and skills. Even the Arab Spring is not over. The Spring of Prague in 1968 was followed by Two decades, two decades later, by a successful revolution. History is longer, much longer than a tweet. But I repeat that this implies that we have to act now and to perform. I'm focused on the output of our democracies. Some are concerned by the input. Personally, I'm not impressed by the use of referenda. A lot depends on the formulation of the questions. The surrounding political circumstances are as important as the topic of the referendum itself. Often it is about the popularity of the leaders who pose the question instead of the popularity of the team. In referenda, you often get answers on questions that were never asked in the first place. And moreover, a referendum divides the people. It's difficult to heal the wounds afterwards. Another point, why a referendum about this particular topic and not on so many others? What about, and now entering the technique, what about the necessary majority? Can a small majority decide on matters where you need a strong one? Actually, a close vote at a certain time should not determine the future of generations to come. 
for constitutional changes or for decisions changing the nature of the state, you need a qualified, a two-third majority in Parliament. Not so in a referendum. In the European Union, a specific problem has arisen. A national referendum cannot have the last word in a monetary union in a union of 27 countries. The Greek referendum on the conditions of a new bailout loan in 2015 could simply not be implemented because 18 other democracies did not agree with the outcome of the referendum in Greece. It was a clash among democracies. Once I was asked after the Brexit referendum why the EU27 did not show more empathy for Britain in the current negotiations. The reason is quite obvious. The democracies of the 27 have to defend the interests of their citizens and their common interests. Again, the 27 are as democratic as the UK. This brings me to the nature of the democracy in the Union. The expression democratic deficit is often used. But what does that mean? In a union, legal decisions are taken by the member states and the European Parliament. Let's focus first on the member states. If a decision is taken by a qualified majority in the union, it is a democratic decision. The national countries, the national democracies, pushed into a minority should not complain. It's the rule of the game. Ignoring legal decisions is against the European rule of law. The EU's democracy equals for many a national democratic deficit. But the Union has its own rules enshrined in the treaties unanimously approved by the Member States. If a decision democratically taken at the European level goes against the interest of a Member State, that country calls it undemocratic. The reference is still the nation-state. The Union is built on another logic. What is good for the European general interest? Once you are a member of an EU institution, you are dependent on democracies of other nations. You lost a part of your national sovereignty. You are a part of the main, as John Donne would have said, uh, when, he lived, when, he when he would live now. In a globalized world, you lose autonomy in any case. But in the Union, we agreed on a transfer of national sovereignties in order to gain more control of our own fate, collectively. Some countries still have the illusion that the EU is the only source of loss of autonomy, and some have difficulty accepting the consequences of the logic of the treaties they approved themselves in the past. But one can also ask if the European democracy is working well. The European Parliament is elected directly, although with a participation rate that is far too low, 40%. In the US, a president is often elected by a minority of the potential voters and last time even by a minority of the voters. But here in the Union, we have to do better than we did in the past. The European Parliament elects the President of the Commission by a secret ballot and the candidate needs an absolute majority of the parliamentarians. A practice that is not so common, as an understatement, in our member states. 
The Union has a bicameral system in which legislative acts need the support of the directly elected European Parliament and of a qualified majority of the member states or their unanimous vote. The Council is of course representing very lively democracies. Our Union will always have this double legitimacy, double hatting, a combination of institutions aimed at protecting both the European and the national interests. I add a paradox. The Council, although composed of national ministers, have to agree on a European conclusion by consensus. The national interests have to be overcome in order to achieve this European solution. This European result is thus more than the sum of the na national interests of the member states. The national ministers are obliged to look for the European interest. It takes an effort to transcend national egoism. The EU has another more challenging problem. The first is the implementation of the EU's legal decisions. If a member state refuses to implement them within their boundaries, an almost constitutional difficulty arises. The rule of law is at stake. And the second problem is that functioning of some national democracies regarding the freedom of media and independence of judiciary, when the core values of the Union are violated, the European Commission as the guarantor of the basic charter of our Union or the European Parliament have to take action. It has to respect the procedures uh, foreseen in the treaties, but if at the end no corrective action is taken by the Member States, the famous Article 7 can be triggered, a serious and persistent breach of our values can even lead to a suspension of the voting rights of a Member State by a unanimous vote decision by the Council. We are not yet at that stage, but never before have we been so close to that kind of decision. Even unanimity is not obtained for the final decision in the European Council, a vote with an overwhelming majority against the Member State not respecting democratic rules would be a very strong political signal. The EU and the, EMS and the Member States are not a model for the rest of the world. We are not some kind of Athens of the modern times. Because of our history of imperialism inside and outside of Europe, this statement lacks credibility. On top of this, our democracies are young. Germany and Italy, founding fathers of the Union, had almost no democratic past before the end of World War II. And now we declare ourselves as the fatherland of democracy. In this country, women only got the right to vote for the parliamentary elections in 1948, nearly 70 years ago. Before that, half of the population couldn't vote. Fatherland of democracy. However, I do not accept the superiority of more authoritarian regimes or regulated democracy either. It is perfectly possible to keep a country united whilst living in a democracy. India is a living example. Islam can go hand in hand with democracy. Indonesia and recently Tunisia are good examples. Prosperity and democracy are compatible. And Japan gave the evidence, of course, and of course the EU countries as well as the United States. In my view, democracy is the future. 
but we have to work hard so that it does not belong to the past in some of our countries. There are no iron historic laws. There is no guarantee for human progress. The tragic first half of the 20th century proved that there is no linearity in history. Democracy is a verb. And the first condition is to learn democratic habits. But dialogue and conversation necessitate a deep respect for every human being. May I say it in an old-fashioned way. Without love in the broad sense of the world, democracy will not work. Without this conception of a person, without personalism, nothing will be delivered. Every person counts. Everyone is written in the palm of God's hand. Democracy is not only a technique. I explained you the technique in Europe, in national democracies. Democracy is a philosophy. The opposite of extremism is conversation. I love that word, conversation. It's better than in French, conversation. <laughs> conversation has something noble. It's a constitutive piece of our democracy's conversation. Conversation leads to moderation. And I love, as I said, both words, conversation and moderation. The world needs moderation as an antidote to nationalism and harshness. Hearts are hardened. We have to put moderation into practice at every level of power, every level of responsibility. Again, Thucydides already said it 2,500 years ago, of all the manifestations of power, he said, moderation impresses man the most. <coughs> I hope he is right. Societal divisions are worsened by antagonistic rhetoric. The moral standards of how to live, how to work, and how to speak to one another have been lowered. Aggression in human relations is the new normal. They confuse assertiveness with aggressiveness. Moderation is wasting away, especially in social media. Democracy cannot be maintained in a climate of polarization or hate, in a climate of a lack of mercy, a lack of forgiveness. Fora became tribunals, and there is only one punishment in that kind of tri tribunal, it is the death penalty. There is no room anymore for mercy, for a second chance, for forgiveness. The language of leaders, dear friends, is as important as their deeds. Words can split a society. Words can heal, words can be a consolation, but words also can destroy a society. That's why a state democracy is a way of life. It's the expression of a civilization. Democracy cannot survive without a strong civil society. 
without intermediate associations where people get used to living and talking to listen to each other. A compromise is prepared in society before it is discussed in governments and parliaments. So civil society is also a filter for a society. Before you take a political decision, then you have already had that filter inside uh, the civil community. A democracy needs social cohesion and needs social trust. Anxiety is the opposite of trust. And we need trust. We need social cohesion. We need social trust. As I said, a lack of protection fuels fear. This is an objective factor. A lack of protection against all those threats that I've described. But, dear Lawrence, and I put it already before I listened to you, loneliness, spiritual emptiness, and a loss of the, the goal of life, the meaning of life, make some people fragile and egocentric. It is difficult to reach out to the others if you are at pains with yourself. And at the same time, you need other fellow men to be liberated from selfishness. Sometimes leaders have to take their responsibilities, even going against the tide. It is called political courage. And in democracy, the people has the last word, of course, but, but this shouldn't prevent leaders to show leadership. We often speak about a democratic deficit, but the leadership's deficit can also have serious consequences. Democracy does not mean chaos, but change and even movability is part of the game. Democracy is not static, but dynamic, sometimes too dynamic. We have to convince people Dear friends, in the land where leaders think they are always right, flowers will not flourish in the spring. That land is gray, that land is dull. Winter is then the only season. And for us, democracy is life. And we, we are on the side of life. I remain a man of hope. Thank you so much.